welcome to Bird Calls from the Knoll Foundation studios here at Red River Radio. Tonight's program is made possible in part by the Knoll Foundation and the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. To take your calls tonight, we have a phone bank of volunteers, including Renee Moran, Henry Edwards, and Kiara Lafitte. We invite you to call in with your questions about our feathered friends and the avian world at 800 552-8502. That's 800-552-8502. I'm Cliff Shackleford, your host of Bird Calls here at Red River Radio. I'm ready to answer your questions about birds tonight, so let's hear from you by calling us at 800-552-8502. We usually begin with a recap of last month's conservation tip, but we don't do a conservation tip in April because it's our annual birds and bees episode that we do with Dr. Beverly Burden, the host of What's Bugging You. We, we bring her in and we have a heck of a good time talking about birds and insects. And she was in here last month and we had a really good time. Our fifth annual, it's amazing um, that, that we've done that so many times. So that's an April event. So look forward to it next April. Tonight we're profiling a bright yellow songbird called the Prothonotary Warbler. Its loud song can be heard near freshwater and forested settings, including swamps, sloughs, and the edges of lakes. Let's listen, let's listen to one here. A really light, loud, bright, sweet, 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 sweet. Here, here it comes. Listen. Really strong, emphatic, sweet, 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 sweet. And placements essential. Again, these are going to be found in forested settings where you've got water from the edge of a lake, a swamp, a slough. These are not going to be in dry upland settings. First of all, let's examine the word prothonotary in the bird's name. The vibrant yellow prothonotary warbler got its name from the bright yellow robes worn by papal clerks known as prothonotaries in the Roman Catholic Church. Another popular backyard bird has a similar origin to its name. The cardinals, who advised the pope, wear robes colored in deep red, and this color influenced the naming of the bird that we all know as the cardinal. The male prothonotary warbler is mostly bright yellow with a greenish back and blue-gray wings. It's a smoothly colored bird with no streaks, no spots, no speckles, and no wing bars. The females are slightly duller than the males. The prothonotary warbler breeds mainly in the southeastern U.S. states, north to New York, Michigan, and Minnesota. Here in the Red River Radio listening area, this species can be found in the right habitat. People, especially anglers, using boats, canoes, or kayaks that hug the edge where the water meets the wooded swamps are those that are most likely to encounter this warbler, colloquially known as swamp fire, for its bright color that resembles a hot yellow flame. This is one of only two species of New World wood warblers that nest in tree cavities or hollows, but they'll also nest in man-made boxes placed above water, and they'll also nest in a crevice of a boat dock or marina. 
This species is highly insectivorous and most migrate south to wintering grounds in Central America and Northern South America. Some overwinter in dense woodlots along the Gulf Coast of Texas and Louisiana. To see a photo of a prothonotary warbler snapped by James Childress, please visit the Bird Calls page at redriverradio.org. Again, uh, we're, we're ready to take your calls. Our number here is 800-552-8502. If you'd like to ask a question tonight, we uh, this is our first episode since December that we haven't had a, a guest, an in-studio guest. So give us a call, be the guest on air, and we'll talk about birds. Um, this is a good time of the year to cover a couple of sound alikes. What I mean by that are they're not even birds, but they sound like birds. And they're calling a lot right now. And let's let's listen to them first and I'll tell you what they are. Let's 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 listen to e- either one you've got up there and uh, we'll talk about it. Chirp 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 chirp. A lot of people hear that in the in the middle of the night and they, they it's right outside the window it's incessant and you go out to look for a bird and it stops calling you must have flushed it but you go back in the house back into bed and it and the chirping continues and you think wow it's, that silly bird flew right back to the same spot but in fact it's not a bird this is the Rio Grande chirping frog let's listen again chirping frog So we get a lot of calls about this one, a lot of questions about the bird that's chirping all night long, and it's not a bird, it's a frog. We've got another frog that calls that sounds just like a bird, and let's listen to this one. There's several individuals and these are all gray tree frogs and they sound a lot like a bird and and people that are new to birds will hear that in the woods and they'll go chase it and they won't ever see a bird flush because again it's not a bird it's a gray tree frog let's listen one more time to the gray tree frog Yeah, I really, I really like that one. It, they'll call in the day, especially a cloudy day or a drizzly day, even during a storm, they'll call at night. Uh, they're less likely to call on a really hot summer day when it's dry, um, but they're usually up, um, up in the trees, hence the name tree frog. And that they sound like a bird, so people are looking up in, in the tree for a bird, but it's in, indeed a frog. So, yeah, it's always good to refresh uh, our minds with these two sound-alikes that are really frogs and not birds that sound like birds, but they're not. Again, those are the Rio Grande chirping frog and the gray tree frog. Pretty fun stuff. Um, okay, let's... Uh, if, if you want to call, the number is 800-552-8502. We have Cheryl from El Dorado. Hello, Cheryl. 
Hello. I'm so glad you're on tonight. Oh, I have a great a new bird question. Okay. Um, I started feeding the birds this year for the first time, and we have had over the ever since oh January or so, we've had wrens, tufts, tufts, tufted titmouse or two, and they've moved on. I think a pair of chickadees, lots of cardinals, but I have a pair of black birds that I don't recognize and don't think I've ever seen them before. There's and I say pair because there'll be one almost nesting in the base of a I have a tall feeder with several holes. And, um it almost just lays in the tray at the bottom and its mate or pair will whistle and fly away and the other will follow. And that happens mm. pretty often regardless of where they are. Okay. And I've I may have seen them, seen as many as three at a time together, but they seem to always be in pairs, and where one is, the other is not far away. Hmm. They're smaller than a blackbird, shaped more like a domestic old canary or so. I can't get close enough to see if there are any other markings at all. Yeah. Um, and it just makes a single sort of whistle, just a, I can't whistle, but just yeah. a single whistling sound. Okay. Um can you tell if the color is kind of a flat color, a matte finish, or is it shiny and iridescent when he moves in the sun? It gives you gives you different colors. Uh, I I don't know I don't know if I've seen it in the sunshine okay. or not. The bird feeders in kind of a shady place, and I'm yeah. not sure, and I can't get very close. I wouldn't say it's a matte finish though, yeah. completely matte finish. Okay, because I'm leaning towards. I, I'm thinking of two birds, just because you've you've reduced the size. You you've kind of eliminated common grackle and gotten yeah, us. It's, in, it's smaller. It's smaller than a common yeah, grackle. I do know that. Right, and so I, I'm leaning towards brown-headed cowbird because they will come to feeders. Um, now the males and the females don't look identical. They're they're the same shape and size, but they're a different color. And then I. I heard little hints of, of what sounded like also could be a starling, but they don't really eat a lot of seeds. They're not big feeder users. So, but it could be like our, our feeders, sometimes other birds just sit there um, because it's maybe a commanding perch and they have a good view of everywhere. They see other birds and say, what, you know, let's get, let's see what the party's all about. I, I don't know, but... I'm I'm stuck between brown-headed cowbird and in European starling, so so maybe Cheryl, what you can do is write those two names down and Got it. and and maybe do a little googling later tonight and then um, figure out if it's one of those two. But that those are the All two right. the and, and and I would lean more towards the cowbird because they're 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 hitting our feeder right now and they're usually in groups and they're eating seeds. And they whistle, um, so. But there's a slim chance it could be a starling, but they're very different yeah, the, looking. Yeah, the starling's bill is is yellow. This bird appears to be, if I can get close enough, solid black. Okay. So the same color. The yeah. Bill is not a different color. Okay. Then 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 let's go with brown-headed cowbird, and um, the males have kind of a iridescent body but a flat brown head that's where they get the name brown-headed cowbird because he that looks like it yeah and the female and the females got kind of an earth tone 
clay gray brown color to it all uniform and not iridescent um, but then you know you'll see sometimes two or three males together um, so I'm leaning towards yeah with your help we're, I guess we've decided that, that it's brown-headed cowbird and, and what's interesting is this is a bird that evolved in the system of of the bison and their migratory tendencies and and, and a, a, a mammal that would walk up and down the Great Plains from North Dakota to Texas basically and 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 go with the seasons and and then go back north um, when the season's right. And they were very migratory. And so the, the cowbird didn't have time to set up shop and raise its own young because it, it was dependent on the, the bison to kick up insects that would spook insects. They'd go eat it. They would, you know, kick up seeds. They would eat it. And, and, and if this bison is so migratory, it didn't allow for again, for the cowbird to sit up shop and raise its own young. So the cowbird is, is what, we called, what we call a brood parasite. And that means it lays its eggs in other birds' nests. Um, and so in our area, cardinals are hit really hard by cowbirds. So they're, they're, they have, even though the bison are no longer and we've put up barbed wire fences and we've changed the bovine from a bison to a cow and we put fences, they don't migrate anymore. The cowbird hasn't lost its tendency to dump eggs in another bird's nest. So a cowbird will never build a nest. It'll never brood eggs. And if you see a cowbird feeding young, uh, that, that isn't something you won't see either. So when, when in the re reverse, if you see a young cowbird, you're not going to see an adult cowbird feed it. Just wait and watch and you'll see who the foster parent is that's going to come in and feed it. And it won't be a cowbird. Um, well, that's and, interesting. Yeah. And in, in certain parts of the country, it's a it's been a problem. Uh, it, it can reduce numbers of host species um, in parts of the, the country. The black cap vireo is a good example of a bird that has been somewhat hit by brood parasitism in a negative way, meaning they, they don't get to raise their own young. They're always raising the foster parent uh, kid, which is larger more aggressive hatches sooner and, and and does what we call siblicide it pushes out the egg of the host the host eggs or if they all hatch it, it's bigger and stronger and has a little notch on his bill and, and kills the other uh nestlings it, it's it's step it's step kit it's step brothers and sisters i guess you'd call it that in human terms but they're completely not related obviously um and so that, that is so the cowbird chick, and it's usually one egg in this foster nest, that way he, that one chick can command all the feedings and get all the food because a lot of times the host parents are half the size of the cowbird. Um, and so look up yellow warbler is, is one that, that gets parasitized. Dick sissel, um, and I mentioned black cat brio. These are birds that are smaller, and so... It takes both of the foster parents all their time and energy to feed that one baby cowbird. Um, so it, it's interesting. A lot of people they they don't they don't like the brood parasitism of the cowbird, but he he can't shake it. It's it's who he is. He's hardwired. Uh, it's just the way they are. So well, fortunately, I've only seen the one I guess pair, 
Um, I only seen the two. I thought I saw three one time, but and we've got tons of cardinals. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is not a, a, a desirable bird particularly, but I'm I'm so new at this. I'm just going to watch what happens with the ones that are hanging around. Yeah. Good. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks for the call, Cheryl. I- interesting topic. The number here is 800-552-8502. I'm Cliff Shackleford, your host of Bird Calls here at River Radio. And we're talking about birds and anything with feathers and all those good things. And we've got Clyde on the phone from Nacogdoches. What's going on, Clyde? Well, I saw a bird that I uh, find. It's the first time I've seen one here over on uh, Richmond Street where we live. have lived for some years now. Uh, he I think it's either after looking at the bird bush books, either some kind of a thrush or maybe a thrasher. Okay. Uh, bright, bright cinnamon brown on the, I mean, just a really bright cinnamon-like uh, brown on the back. Uh-huh. And wings, and then a light-colored uh, breast and belly with uh, streaks uh, uh-huh. that uh, are pretty prominent up you know, close to the throat and then faded out as they uh, went back. Right. And Not spots, but streaks. Okay, and tell me what he's doing, Clyde. Is he up in the Actually, trees? Actually, he or? was uh, policing up on uh, some of the food we put out for an outside cat. <laughs> oh, okay. But so other, other than other than that, where do you see him? Is he is he up in the trees or is he running no, on the no, lawn? Down on our driveway, okay. right uh, right next to the carport yeah we've got a couple of kitties uh that come around and i put out you know a little dry food for them uh and uh we've got some birds that get after that every now and then in fact this one was uh down there along with a a couple of uh, blue jays Mm -hmm. yeah it sounds to me clyde like it's a brown thrasher um, they're they're a, a not unusual backyard bird. They're very conspicuous, and you'll see that bird for the next several weeks, even months. Um, well, and, suit me. And, nice yep. looking bird. Yeah, and 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 the thrushes that look like him that are half the size. They don't have quite the long tail. They're purely migratory um, this time of the year, and 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 I mean, unless you have a wood thrush, but they don't come out front and center. On a driveway, they're not going to eat dog food. They they're skulking in the woods. So, brown thrasher, they're in the yard. That they'll stay near shrubbery where they can run and hide or fly and hide if they need to. And uh, there's some, <clears throat> there's there's some pretty close. We've got a uh, three or four, uh, you know, like scrub oaks that have grown up in front of the uh, front of the house that are make a clump. Uh, yeah. And then around the side, we've got some other and better stuff. But, right, right. But there's, you know, pretty close to it. There's, uh, some, but that's the first time I've seen the rascal uh, around, you know, around the house. Right, right. Okay. Well, and Clyde, Clyde you're a longtime listener. You've called in before, and you, and you know what I say about birds and cats. Uh, yes, I do. Yes, uh, and and uh, that's uh, the other. They're going to just have to take their chances. <laughs> and, and, and do I? And, well, uh, yeah. And you've got to help that. You've got to help that out a little bit. Feral cats. Yeah. There's no catching them. Yeah. Well, um, as I always say, you know, cats are one of the 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 big killers of birds, and so I do know that. Yeah. And, uh, and 
I'm sorry, but I'm I'm not willing to uh, I'm not willing to kill the kitties. Yeah, and I'm not willing to. And they're we're not in a position to like take them in and make them into inside cats. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're kind of a couple of leftovers from a lady who lived next door to us and was a cat lady. And when she passed away, there were several, you know, that uh, she left. Right. And, uh, and I I can't watch them starve. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, plus, there's a couple more from across the street that live there and come over occasionally. Right. Okay. Well, enjoy your brown thrasher, Clyde. Thanks for the call. Phone number is 800-552-8502. You're listening to Bird Calls here on Red River Radio, where we talk about birds and our feathered friends. So give a call if you'd like. Um, I was thinking about a friend of mine who's a up-and-coming bird watcher. Her name's Ann, and she was asking me a few weeks, or maybe it's been a few months ago, I think she was taking pictures of birds and Maybe it was a flycatcher, I don't know, but it, she was asking about these really prominent whiskers around the bill of the bird, and, and, and I wanted to mention um, rictal bristles, and let me spell that. Rictal is R-I-C-T-A-L, and the second word is bristles, and uh, if you look close up to certain species like flycatchers and night jars, what we call Capramolgids, those are things like common nighthawk, Chuck Will's widow, whippoorwill. These birds that fly around and, and have to catch insects on the wing, these rictal bristles act as little sensory uh, feathers. They're, they're feathers, of course. They look like hairs, but they're, they're for sensory. They you know, allow the bird to know if that insect they're about to chomp on and on the wing it has made a quick right turn or left turn and allows the bird to adjust uh, at, a, at a moment's notice so um, yeah so I thought I meant mention the word rictal bristle that could be your your crossword puzzle word of the day so 800-552-8502 we've got a couple folks on the uh, waiting to uh, t- uh, for us to chime them in let's go with uh keith from tyler keith what do you have for us tonight howdy cliff um i I sent over a a photo i don't know if you'll have a chance to see it um but it's a a bird that was in my bird bath and i'm thinking but i don't know for sure it's a what i looked in a bird book a first year male summer tanager Mm. um it's it's got a red head and breast and uh, top of its back, and then its flanks and tail are kind of yellowish. Yeah, yeah, they're cool looking. Dark, dark, kind of a dark wing. Yeah, kind of threw me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that bird up, Keith, because I've been seeing quite a few. We see those in migration. Um, those, those are the colloquial name for that one is calico warbler. Um, but wow. it's not a warbler. It's it's, but it does have that calico flavor to it. But it is the yeah. summer tanager, and okay. and you nailed it. It's um, it's molting. It's a male that um, in the winter they they get into a female plumage of all yellow, and and when they come back, some of them have finished molt and they're all red when they come back in April, and some haven't, 
and they're still in the in-between stage, and that's what we're seeing. And I've seen several this year, um, and they're really cool looking because no two look alike. Um, okay. And so, oh, that explains a lot. Yeah, I, yeah. I've so seen some others, and it didn't look similar. Yeah, and so you know, it it doesn't do a bird any good to be naked and lose its feathers and wait. <laughs> so it's a slow process, and and birds usually molt in in tracks t-r-a-c-t-s that's kind of like a part of the body a region of the body and Uh and so and and they don't most birds don't lose all their flight feathers at once there are some exceptions Mm -hmm. to that a lot of grebes will but they'll do that um they're they're an aquatic bird so if they are harassed or chased they can dive underwater and swim away but it wouldn't do a cardinal any good to lose all his flight feathers so molt is a is a slow transition for a lot of birds. And so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing him lose his winter garb and, and get into his spring garb and, and you kind of caught him in the middle of the of the changing booth and he hasn't quite gotten his his summer red on yet. So uh, so in, anyway, enjoy enjoy the calico warbler, also known as the summer tanger, and and thanks for the the call, Keith. Uh, next we have uh, Pat from Shreveport. Uh, Pat, what do you have for us tonight? Hello, sir. Been listening a long time to you. Great. Well, I have a open mudroom that I had this bird come in and she made a nest. She laid six eggs. Okay. And they all hatched. Now she she's small, not small like a finch, but she was yellow and black. And then something happened to Mama. She was such a good Mama, and. The babies were there hatching, you know, live and well, and she was gone. They just kept growing, and then one day I kept hearing birds outside, and the babies were going crazy. Mm-hmm. It was not like a mockingbird, but, sir, what would kill all of those babies like that? A, a lot of... They were reddish. I know yeah. it's a stupid question, but I don't know. So so did you just find the carcasses, and they were, or were they consumed and... and and gone i mean what what happened they were gone okay because what what also happens that always catches my family off guard is when when birds fledge and sometimes they fledge before we really are prepared we think something happened some something nefarious happened like a predator but when birds fledge they get out of there and, and they hit the bushes and the trees and then they're in the neighbor's yard five minutes later and Ten minutes later, they're in the next yard and so on and so forth. So how do we know that it didn't just fledge and everything is peachy? Well, because those birds were out in that around that window, and they were just, like, attacking like mockingbirds in the air. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know, and they were reddish. So I'm hoping then from your, your words, sage words, is that they made it. It, there's a there's a good possibility. I mean, number one, you didn't find any any bodies, um, and so that's that's always good. Um, and so we we have to hope that they they made it and that they fledged, and that's why we're not seeing them. And so okay, sir. They, but other yeah. birds typically do not attack babies like that or attack a nest. They know that the mom, you know, the mom is not there anymore. Well, and I'm, I'm still a little confused. I mean, you've mentioned some colors and I don't even know what we're talking about. If you said yellow and black. Okay. Well, so she was, she 
was yellow and black, small, and had an elongated beak. Mm. And I've never seen another one over here like that. Okay. I have Orioles and finches, so. Are you near water? I mean, we profiled the prothonotary yeah. warbler. I mean, it, they, they'll sometimes go into marinas, like I mentioned, in crevices. I've seen them in boat docks where there's a, like, a utility room, and someone left some old rubber boots, and they'll nest in that. Um, well, that's, that might be very much so, her, because she was right in my laundry room, and I'd be in and out. We just became friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little worried about him, but. Okay. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, feel I, well, and I and I'm not really sure all the, that's going on. So maybe next time she nests, take take some pictures if you can. Um, you know, game cameras are cheap. You can set one up just a f- couple feet away and get some amazing pictures. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of technology out there to help you um, not only for identification but just you know to show the family show the the kids that have moved oh, off yeah. you know pictures of what's happening while while the kids are away and yeah so yeah cool all right yeah. pat well th- thank you for the call this is this is bird calls and to reach us please call 1-800-552-8502 we've got philip from nacogdoches on the line philip what's going on i have a painting and pressure washing business in a very forested area of Nacogdoches over by SFA. Okay. And a few years ago, one of my employees knocked on the lady's front door, and I was standing there watching, and he had never been on the property before. And a 18-inch tall, I guess a blue jay with like an 18-inch wingspan, came out of the trees and lit on his shoulder and sat on his shoulder for an hour. Is that normal? That's not normal. So how do you explain that? And we're positive of the ID that it was a blue jay. Just a large blue bird. Yes, I, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Uh, he, was, he was wild. Yeah. Well, um, if it did something like that, it probably had some interaction with humans in the past. Maybe somebody helped raise it, um, rescued it, um, something where it was habituated towards humans because. You know, you'll hear plenty of examples of birds swooping at someone if you're too close to a nest. Yes. And, and, you know, you and I are like Godzilla to, to a bird, and so they, they try to scare away Godzilla. So they, they fly at us, they, you know, annoy us, and you, you'll see that they'll do it to squirrels, to cats, to dogs, to people. But if you're telling me it sat on someone's shoulder— um, that that bird had some interaction with humans in the past, and it was very uh, tolerant uh, of people. So, but I can't explain, you know, what other than somebody rehabbed it or something like that. My first guess was that this guy had a very mild spirit about him, a, a very mild persona, because he was a missionary. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think it works that way. I, I yeah, that's that's a label that a bird does not understand. And certainly okay, can't well. sense. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. All right. Okay. The number here is 800-552-8502. We'll take your calls about birds. Um, we've got Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth, where are you calling from? Jefferson. Okay. What, what can we do for you tonight? 
I saw, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's it's a, a type of woodpecker because I can't find it in my wobbler uh, bird book, and it and it has a scarlet, a, a dark scarlet head, not like a red-headed woodpecker, a dark scarlet head, and it looks like it has like a black jacket on. The breast is white, and then before you get to the end of the tail, it's white, and then the tip of the tail is black. Hmm. Is the entire red head like he's wearing a red hood? Yeah, okay. yeah, but it's a scarlet red. It's, yeah. a, it's a deep red, right. and it comes down, I would say, almost to his shoulders. Right, right. Um, yeah, th- this is a bird that... John James Audubon claimed to be the most beautiful bird in North America. And it's another one that a friend of mine uh, named Ed Kutak used to describe it as the red is red, the white is white, and the black is black on this bird. And it's a redheaded, it's a redheaded woodpecker. And so that, that sounds like what you've got is a redheaded woodpecker. And, and a lot of people think, um, Oh, you know, we have that in our backyard because they see a woodpecker that has a little bit of red on its head. But there are, in, in our listening area, there are about eight species of woodpeckers. And so that's another thing most people don't realize that there's a high diversity. And that eight species carries through the whole southeast U.S. And as you go north in the eastern part of the country, it might drop one species. But we're talking, you know, the, up the Mississippi and all the way east to the Atlantic coast. There's seven or eight species of woodpeckers, and all of the males off the top of my head have some red on the head. But this one that you're talking about, his entire head or hood is red and, and, Absolutely. and, and gorgeous. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he Gor- looked. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. I have two males, but I haven't seen a female. Or well, what do the females look like? I'll tell you what the female looks like. The female looks just like the male. They're what we call monomorphic, meaning you and I can't tell boys from girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you have two hanging together this time of the year, it's probably a male and a female. And, okay. And there's no no noticeable size difference. There's no dilution of color like you see in several species where the females don't. Yeah. The, the male and the female in this species, like the blue jay and the mockingbird, there are several backyard birds where we can't tell boys from girls. And this is one okay. of them. Yeah. So okay. he, it's a beautiful well, bird. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with John James Audubon. And someone, at, you know, said, well, what about the painted bunning? And he said, it's too gaudy. It, it's too bright, too <laughs> too much color. But the, the red-headed woodpecker, I mean, he looks like he's in a tuxedo because his black is so perfect. Yes, yes. The white is it so perfect. Like he and, has a jacket. Yeah, on, it's you just know, crisp with a, with a white bill. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're, you're, it's it's what I call a regal looking. Yes, bird. and your description was perfect, Elizabeth. So I'm I'm glad you you've got a pair of red-headed woodpeckers, and it, it's not two males. You've got a male and a female, and and maybe you'll be a grandma. How about that? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that would be so fun. Yeah. Cliff. Well, thank you. Okay. So much. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right, next we have up, uh, I have a note that uh, Keith, who called earlier, he asked about a, the bird in his bird bath, the uh, calico warbler, a.k.a. the summer tanager. Uh, the picture didn't come through, but the good thing is, Keith, we heard your description. It was perfect, and uh, identification solved. That was a summer tanager. 
Okay, the number here is 800-552-8502. This is Bird Calls. My name is Cliff, and we've got Paul from Marshall. Paul, how's it going tonight? Hey, it's going good, Cliff. Good. Uh, I was laying in my backyard in the hammock looking up in the top of a tall pecan tree, and I saw the most brilliant yellow small bird flitting around on top with a black tail and was a small two, two-and-a-half-inch bird, probably. Huh. Any idea? With I mean, a bl- brilliant yellow. Yeah, there, there, there are several warblers, and, and the yellow warblers passing through still, um, but they don't have a black tail. Okay, hmm. well, maybe I didn't see the black tail, but it, would, it, would it be a solid, brilliant yellow? Yeah, yes, and he's little bitty, he's, you yeah, know, right. ch- chickadee-sized. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and yellow warblers are passing through right now. Um, and and they'll probably go ahead. Blake, that's why I explained I just saw him for a day and then haven't seen him since. Yeah. Yeah. So my guess is a yellow warbler and and the male uh, is is a a little bit brighter than the female. And if you don't have binoculars, you're not going to see this feature. They have chestnut, very thin chestnut streaks across the yellow on the breast. And if it, I can't see that with the naked eye, but you can't either. Uh, but the female didn't have that. She's just solid yellow, and it's a little bit more diluted, but it's still bright yellow. I mean, brighter, brighter than banana. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Paul. Well, well, that's good. Problem solved. That's a yellow warbler. He is a migrant. Um, they, they don't nest in Marshall, Texas, so they're, they've got a ways to go before uh, the breeding ground. So... Your your yard where you were um, sitting on the hammock is just a, a Valero gas station on on the bird's journey north. How about that? Yeah. All right. Okay. I love. You, you, I haven't stumped you yet, so good deal. Well, keep trying. Keep keep me on my toes. Okay. All right. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Next, we've got John from Fishville. John, what do you have? Hey, Keith. Uh, Cliff. We, I'm sorry, Cliff. I'm sorry. Um, I talked to you a few weeks ago about the little black bird. Uh, what is it? The cowbird? You were talking to the first caller, I think, about these yeah, little black Yeah, we were talking about the brown-headed cowbird. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I talked to you a few weeks, and I only had a few, but I've got 60 of them now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Sounds like a plague. And my question was going to be about the nesting, and you already answered that to the, the first caller. Yeah, yeah. and... and, and when you when you have a group that large, they're probably a, a migrant flock, and they're he- still headed north. I, I doubt you're going to have 60 uh, for the next couple weeks. Um, they're they're going to thin out in numbers and not be that that heavy. So you probably had a migratory flock. Yeah, well, they're I'm feeding them. I, might be a mistake for me to feed them out here on the grass and every night. Yeah, and and they seem to be the same group because they they know the spot. Well, yeah, and, and when a group of birds are feeding like that, it attracts other birds. And, and, and that reminds me that I'm supposed to mention this high, highly pathogenic avian influenza that's going around. Ooh, yeah. And so let, let, me, let me mention that um, here in a second, John. Um, so, uh, Ooh, yeah. yeah, so uh, let, me, let me mention the, the AI. So people have been calling and asking about um, avian influenza it's on the news and what can they do and should they stop feeding so we have to remember it's not the food or the water we're giving birds that are the problem it's 
It's the concentration, the congregation, the, 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 the bringing birds into big groups at this time of the, well, right now when there's an outbreak of, of AI or avian influenza. So, so you'll, you'll see reports saying stop feeding birds, and that doesn't mean it's because the food is a problem. Again, it's you're trying to eliminate that feeder where you can get 20, 30, or more birds, or even just two, three birds on the feeder because um, one of them could be sick and 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 spread that to the other birds. So um, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I, we've It seems like we go through feeder problems at least once a year. Um, there'll be a salmonella outbreak that was really uh, a big problem with pine siskins, or at least suspected salmonella with pine siskins a year or two ago. And so I think the message is, to for me it's to to go with natives and i've said this many times on the show is to plant native plants spread them out have a variety instead of that feeder or or solely relying on that feeder i think that that's that feeder can can be really wonderful to enjoy birds don't get me wrong i enjoy seeing it too because it you're trained to look at the feeder because somebody's on it. Like we've had a white-breasted nuthatch coming to our feeder lately. But that feeder can be deadly when there's a sick bird at it, and here comes a healthy bird, and we all know what happens um, with with the spread of, of diseases. So um, I think right now I, I would I would say if you if you're providing food and cover in the form of native plants in your yard. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be acres of it. I we don't have acres of it. Our whole yard is 0.6 acres, but a, a, a small percentage of it, or a sizable percentage of it actually, is is dedicated birds. And and we have plants that give nectar. We have plants that give berries. We have seed giving plants. We have everything. All those kinds of plants attract insects that a lot of the insectivorous birds eat. And they're spread out, so they don't have that concentrating effect of a feeder. So I just wanted to mention that is is when you hear about these events, if you shut down your feeder and you don't feel good about it, if you have a wildscape, and that's what I'm trying to promote again and again and again, is, and it's something that you're, you're not going to – it's not going to happen overnight. You put up a feeder that you just bought and you unwrapped it, that's overnight success. But what, what I'm talking about is a, is more devotion, dedication, and but it will pay off in the long run, especially if there is another salmonella outbreak or another strain of avian influenza where all of a sudden experts and uh, people are telling you to take your feeders down. And so you, we have to remember that, that Birds evolved without feeders. So what we're doing is purely supplemental. It's not sustenance. So so get your wildscape in, plant natives, and 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 you can enjoy these birds, and they won't be all clustered together, and you won't be helping spread any kind of avian influenza. So, all right, I'll quit with that. Let's go with uh, 800-552-8502 if you've got any questions. We've got the next caller is Caroline from El Dorado. Hello, Caroline. Yes, hello, Cliff. Glad to have you there. Thank you. Um, I have uh, uh, it really enjoyed the um, the migration 
because Good. the songbirds have been beautiful. Mm-hmm. Normally, my, my question is this. Um, normally, I like to blackbirds or crows. Um, is First of all, is there any difference between a blackbird and a crow? Okay. And can you give me two good reasons that I need those birds? As a <laughs> As opposed to getting rid of them somehow? I mean... Well, um, it's a rude awakening. One time I had one in a chair outside my window, and the window was open. Um, uh, it's, it's it's certainly not the, the beautiful singers of the yeah. spring and fall. Yeah. Um, but can you, is a blackbird and a crow the same thing? Yeah, that's a good and question. And what, what good do they provide? And I'll take my question off the air. Okay. Well, um, so blackbirds, there are several kinds of blackbirds and grackles. They're all related. And, and they're, they're much smaller and sleeker than a crow. Uh, the crow is larger, mo- more husky, robust, and has that very loud song. Let's see if we could get the call up of the, uh, of the American crow. Uh, I think most people are familiar with the the really loud song of the Amer- or the call of the American crow. Um, maybe we don't have that one. We should. It'd be under crow or American crow. We're looking. No, no, it's not up there. And I'm not going to imitate it. But it, you know, it's a it's the call of the crow. The ah ah ah. Uh, I think most people know about the crow call, but very different from grackles that make some some clucking sounds and uh, very different vocally. Uh, but, but in our area, we have common grackles and great-tailed grackles, and we have American crow. So uh, here, here's, here's the crow. We found it. Let's listen to the crow. So, Car- Caroline, if you're listening and, and you said the window was open, if it was a crow, it would have sounded like that. Um, and if it sounded different, it was probably the blackbird or maybe even a grackle. And I don't think we have any recordings up for, for either any of the grackles or crow, uh, blackbirds, actually. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to go with, with uh, probably crow, um, big husky bird, makes a lot of noise, and they're, they're just about everywhere. Um, and so your other part of your question was, what good are they? Well, cr- crows do a lot of good things things when they get raucous and they're you know hollering at something that tells me that there's something pretty interesting over there and go look um they're they're often harassing a a hawk or an owl it could be a cat it could be a bobcat it could be a snake um you'll get a lot of other birds in there mobbing with them jays and woodpeckers and robins and wrens um and so i like when those guys start getting all crazy and raucous because uh i know there's probably something that they're uh that they're upset about so you get a little bit of that mobbing flavor from them um the grackles uh you know i i don't know what to say about great tail grackle that this is the bird that you'll see at um big box stores in the parking lots with the big long tail they make all kinds of laser sounds. They're pretty interesting, but they're good at cleaning up our parking lots, um, you know. And so other than that, I, I don't really care for, for great-tailed grackles because to me they're a, a sign of extreme urbanization. 
because you just don't see them out in the countryside very often. You don't see them in the woods. They're they're usually tied to people. So um, that's why I don't really care for great-tailed grackles, but I know a lot of people do like them, and so to each his own. All right, 800-552-8502. This is Bird Calls on Red River Radio. I'm Cliff Shackleford, and we're going to go to our next caller. We've got Lewis from Stonewall. Hi there, this is Lewis from hey. Stonewall. Hey there, I love your show. Great. And uh, today I had a very pleasant surprise. I'm a, I'm a truck driver, okay. but I was training. So when I'm training, I get to sit in the passenger side seat and just look around. Uh-huh. You know? And a painted bunting was in the middle of the road. And I told my driver, slow down. Hey, all right. Uh, that, and that's the beautiful painted bunting. It was a male, and uh, he flew off. And I was like, it's been a while since I've seen one. And then a little bit later on in the morning, I saw something, uh, a bird flying over over top of the highway. Looked at looked like he had something in his mouth. Uh-huh. And when he turned to the side to, uh, to land, I realized it was a spoonbill. Oh. And... I was, I was, what I was very, most surprised about, they had a dark color and not, he wasn't white and he wasn't red. And hmm. I was, so that threw me a little curveball right there. And, uh, besides that, uh, if you don't mind, could you comment on, yeah, and, and don't, the, the and, declaration, the, the declaration that the ivory bill woodpecker is extinct and oh. then the <laughs> biologists who have been tracking them. Uh, coming out of the shadows and saying no, it's not extinct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to get off the phone. Well, no, no, don't don't hang up. I got a question. Oh, I got a question for you. We we've, we've got a stone wall in Texas near Fredericksburg, but I, I know there's other stone walls. Is it is this Louisiana? Yes, sir. Right okay. here, just south of Shreveport. Okay, okay, just making sure. Um, yeah, because there, you know, there's El Dorado, Arkansas, and we've got we've got the same town name in in Central Texas as well. So it, it's it's as if no one's clever enough to come up with a new name. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, but the, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're first. I'm a truck driver, but I'm a local truck. Okay. Driver. Okay. Good. Well, maybe maybe you can drive from Stonewall, Louisiana, Stonewall, Texas, someday, and you can. Get excited about that because that, that'd be quite a haul. That's probably about six hours for you, I'm guessing. So, yeah. So, Lewis, the first thing about the, the, the painted bunting in the road, that's really cool that you saw that and you slowed down. I, I do see them on the side of the road and indigo bunnings as well. Um, they're, they're probably getting grit off the road. A lot of, a lot of seed eaters have to, add, oh. they have to add grit to their diet. Grit's just little bits of rock. And they have to add that, and it goes into their digestive tract. And so uh, the, those seeds are are hard to crush unless you have rocks in there with them. So you've got this, okay. yeah, you got this muscular uh, uh, feature of the bird that's cr- crushing those seeds against these rocks and allowing them to break those down in digestion. So, um, and then the next part, I, I don't know what to tell you about a spoonbill that's not white or pink or red. And I would never say red like a cardinal, but pink or white, because that's those are the only right. colors we have. I see my, uh, my Google search. I mean, my Google search went on and on and on. And there is just, I don't know what I saw. Well, so, it, had dark, it was a dark bird with uh, light-colored wings, and it had a, a spoonbill. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what you saw, but there there's no other spoonbill. There are other ibis and herons 
that are long-legged waders, but they're, they're, they don't have a spoon-shaped bill. So I, I don't know what you saw, but it was probably not a spoon bill unless the lighting was wrong because I've seen, you know, right. I've yeah. seen pink, pink birds and white birds in the wrong light that just kind of transform into something else. So maybe you right. saw it in the shadow, but that's probably the case. That's probably the case. If, if you for sure saw that spoon-shaped bill, because there's nothing else that, that would have that. Um, you know, the duck okay. hunters, they call the, the, the northern shoveler a spoon bill um, for its spoon-shaped bill, but, but that's not what we're talking about. And then the third part of your call was ivory builds. And yes, there was a, a paper that went viral on the internet. I've had dozen people send it to me saying, hey, did you see this? Yes, I saw it. And, and, and we really haven't gotten off first base with this chase on, on ivory builds. We, we're stuck at first base. Every time we try to advance, the first base coach is telling us to come back. Um, we're never going to hit a home run. And, and to answer your question in, in three, four, or five words, uh, I'm not a believer in, in that paper, and 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 I'm a until proven otherwise, I, I'm a skeptic that ivory build still exists. We've we've done away with large tracts of forest. Um, we've whittled those big forests away. We haven't had what I'd call a slam dunk photo. Um, this paper you right. speak of is by Latta et al. L A T T A, and and the pictures they have, they're they're just not. They're not convincing, and and I want somebody to come with a convincing photo in, instead of these distant, fuzzy pictures that, you know, it's foggy or it's raining or something. It, it's just there. It, you can't. I just can't make anything out of those. So, I don't like being a skeptic, but I don't have evidence to suggest otherwise. So, uh, yes, and I, yeah, I wish that they if they do if they do know that there is a breeding population somewhere that they wouldn't say anything whatsoever no matter what yeah and that's not possible if you look look at how many authors are on that paper uh i think there were six or seven authors and and how are you going to get six or seven people to not tell their spouses not tell their kids and have those people tell another 10 people and so on uh the the days of keeping things a secret are long gone so um but here here's the thing we need more eyeballs out there looking. So, um, and, and we need these people with good cameras to get that slam dunk photo because I haven't seen it and I'm just not a believer. And Lewis, thank you for the call very much. All right, so we are going to end with a conservation tip as we do every episode, except April, which I mentioned earlier. We have an exception to the rule. And this is our 70th tip we've given over the years. I'm impressed that, that we've done 70. So the title is Don't Apply the Herbicide Roundup in or Near Water. Glyphosate is the most commonly used herbicide around the world. It's the active ingredient in Roundup, a popular over-the-counter herbicide used for controlling weeds. It's used in agricultural, agricultural and non-agricultural settings, including backyards, farms, and ranches. Roundup does a very good job battling weeds when used correctly. However, Roundup is not approved for use in or around water. If used incorrectly, including over water or near the water's edge, it can be deadly to fish and wildlife. Roundup can be harmful to human health as well. Use herbicides sparingly, and whenever using them, always read the label and adhere to the warnings. 
Keep waters and ponds and creeks healthy so fish and wildlife around us will be safe, including the prothonotary warbler that was highlighted near the beginning of this, this episode. Do it for the birds. So this concludes uh, tonight's episode of Bird Calls. You've been listening to me, Cliff Shackleford, resident ornithologist here at Red River Radio. Bird Calls has been made possible in part by the Knoll Foundation and the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. Tonight's episode was assisted by Kermit Poling, and our phone bank was operated by Renee Moran, Henry Edwards, and Kiara Lafitte. Tonight's sound file of a prothonotary orbiter was recorded by Andrew Spencer at, at xenocantu.org, and the photo we used for this species was snapped by James Childress. This show will be available soon as a podcast on our website at redriverradio.org. And remember, if you have a photo or a sound clip of a bird that you'd like me to identify, you can send an email to redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Send it well in advance of the show so we can look at it, open it, and study it. Be sure to join us for the next episode of Bird Calls next month at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, June 21st. That's one week later than we normally air, again, June 21st. Do it for the birds.